Hello everyone. Well, uh, whoever thought of writing about rooftops? Well, Mr. Bond did. So let's begin with our book four, Rooftops. From my window, I look down upon a sea of rooftops, old tin roofs mostly, at best corrugated iron. Some of them still have paint on them, but paint is expensive. and only the more affluent can afford to paint their roofs regularly red is the color of choice and sensibly so because when the tin starts rusting as it does after 3 or 4 monsoons the rust merges with the red and you don't notice it much many years ago during the emergency which lasted a couple of years the then prime minister mrs gandhi's son sanjay decreed that all roofs should be painted green and so they were but the green paint did not last much longer than the emergency and our roofs soon reverted to red and rusty red long ago a visitor described masuri as a mountain covered with battered biscuit tins referring of course to our warped and shabby tin roofs those were the days when biscuits came in tins when the biscuits finished you could use the tins for various things my father a stamp collector kept his loose stamps in in a huntley and palmer's biscuit tin granny kept her sewing materials in one i kept my marbles in an empty biscuit tin my mother grew a maiden hair fern in one miss garla long gone always kept a huge biscuit tin in which she kept a variety of homemade biscuits and if you called on her you were permitted to put your hand into the tin and take whatever you came up with my own favorites were ginger biscuits and i soon learned to distinguish the ginger biscuits from the others as my eyesight has never been strong i have developed a good sense of touch biscuits now came in packets and if you leave the packet open for an hour or two the damp will get to them and the biscuits will disintegrate in your hands the monsoon does that to our roofs too a heavy downpour will reveal weaknesses in the roof and the rain will make its way through loose joints and fissures there are very few roofs that get through 3 months of monsoon rain without springing a few leaks things are made worse by bands of mon- monkeys who delight in leaping from one rooftop to another making a hideous racket and loosening all the nuts and bolts in the process in the old old days go back a hundred years and more our hill station roofs were thatched a particular species of sturdy grass being used for the purpose thatched roofs were certainly more picturesque than tin roofs except that all sorts of creatures were inclined to make their homes in the thatch snakes field rats even wild cats and if a thatched roof was struck by lightning and this happened quite frequently the entire building was likely to go up in flames 
there's something to be said for tin roofs. I like the sound of the rain drumming on my bedroom roof. You wouldn't hear it at all if you have a cement roof. One of my neighbors recently added a floor to his house and gave it a flat cement roof. Looking down at it this morning, I see that it has a pool of water in the middle. This pool has been growing large every day. Soon, he will be able to breed frogs in it or grow water lilies on his roof or provide sanctuary for mosquitoes. Our tin roofs for all their faults don't collect water. Everything runs off rain, hail, snow, even the dew. As September ends and the nights grow chilly, you can hear the drip of dew as it slides off the roof and patters against the leaves of the hydrangea. Crash bang! That's not dew. That's a large langur jumping up and down trying to remind me that the roof is badly in need of repainting. The geraniums now have for company a potted fuchsia with pretty bell-like flowers, magenta in the center, pink on the outside. A native of South America, it did not arrive in Europe until late in the 18th century when an adventurous sailor brought home from Chile a plant-bearing flowers unknown till then and gave it to his wife, who then sold it to Mr. Lee, a very well-known nurseryman of Hammersmith. It soon became famous and then seeds were brought to Europe from Peru, where it, where it was found growing at an elevation of 5,000 feet. It became the sensation of floral world and then a fashionable garden flower. Someone named it after the botanist, Fu- botanist Fuchs, but Fuchs had nothing to do with its discovery and in any case, Fuchs, which means fox, is an ugly name for so pretty a flower. Why must flowers and plants be named after people? Rudbeckia is another name for a very attractive flower. Alf Rudbeck was a Swedish professor of medicine who had nothing to do with bringing the flower from America to Europe. Other flowers named in honor of botanists who had little or nothing to do with their discovery are the unfortunate Brawalia, named after Bishop Brawal, a Finnish bishop, the lovely Begonia, a native of Asia and Africa, named after a certain Mr. Um, M. Begon, a French patron of botany, and so on. There are a few ugly scientific names doing their best to mask the beauty of familiar flowers. Rohesis rhomboidea, that is grape ivy. Cleistocactus straussi, the silver torch cactus. Nephrolepis exaltata, the Boston fern. And Saint Paulia ionantha, the African violet. I will torture the reader no longer. Sooner or later, we devise our own simple and evocative names for the flowers we love, like forget me not, 
honeysuckle, dandelion, rose, primrose, rosemary, marigold, and so on. I am a flower lover, like the sailor who brought home a rare plant for his wife. But I am glad I do not have to study botany. People who create beautiful gardens usually live to a good age. I remember Annie Powell at Wayside Hall watering her roses when she was almost 90. Masuri is not a great place for growing roses, but Annie somehow managed to persuade her rose bushes, brought from Saranpur where roses flourish, to put on a good show. The steps leading up to her veranda were festooned with sweet-smelling petunias, and against the sun-drenched wall, an army of colourful snapdragons was always on the march. Annie had one of those loveliest gardens in Masuri. There is nothing there today, nothing to remind me nothing to remind you of the poppies blowing in the wind or chrysanthemums nodding in the October sunshine. Large gardens are disappearing, giving away to blocks of flats, more people, less space. And so, it was my grandmother's Dehradun garden, now just a memory. The builders have taken over. It was Granny's garden. She decided on what went into it. But the person who sustained it was the old gardener Dhuki, who was always on his hunches, spade in hand, weeding away all at the flower beds. It was seldom that I saw him standing up. He was thin, bony, stooped. But his wrists and forearms, forearms were strong from digging and weeding all day long. And how he hated weeds! He attacked them as though they were personal enemies. Anything that had not been planted at the insistence of Granny was dug and flung aside without pity. Dandelions, thistles, clover, illegitimate daisies, ill-bred buttercups, grasses of all kinds fell prey to his wicked little spade. Oh, don't throw away that little marigold, I exclaimed when I was six. It looks so pretty. The Bura ma'am doesn't like them, said Dunki. Too common, and he flung it aside. I think that was the first time I felt a certain sympathy for common things, the ones we take for granted and discard so easily. Wildflowers, gardenscapes, tufts of grass, tufts of grass, Grasshoppers, ladybirds, small birds, squirrel, puddles of water, pebbles, common people. And yet, remove the grass and you expose the earth. Remove the pebbles and you have a landslide. Kill the birds and seeds won't travel. Block the pool and you will have a flood. Ignore the people and you will have a dictator. God was a great mathematician and he made a near-perfect world. We added the garbage. Oh, here I go. Letter from a young friend. Recently, I received a letter from a 17-year-old boy 
studying in class 11 sorry class 12 in a kolkata school people still write to me through post knowing that i am not a computer savvy person every time i buy a laptop my grandchildren grab it from me and put it to their own mysterious uses so i don't facebook and i don't tweet or twitter but i do still read and write and occasionally reply to interesting letters so there was this beautiful handwritten letter from a well read boy who knew how to express himself in simple but fluent english but he was a bit depressed the reason for this he said was that all the students in his class were preparing for careers in iits and jees and he was passionately interested in music the theater and literature was there no room in the world for someone with a creative bent who wanted to write or act or make music he had taken up the violin much to the amusement of his fellow students because he was just a novice and the sounds he produced weren't exactly in the class of yehudi menuhin should he go on with it or should he join the mainstream and become a computer engineer like everyone else in other words did the world still needs violin players did the world need artists poets singers or should they all be confined to the dustbin of history i had to answer his letter i had to stand up for the arts and for the rights of an artistic individual in a society that was almost entirely mechanized i told him not to be discouraged i told him to go ahead and do his own thing this world would be a sorry sort of place if it was made up entirely of high tech whiz kids while violin players and children who wanted to paint or write or play or play the flute had to do it in secret because they were considered irrelevant and dispensable and to make him feel better i made a list of things that hadn't changed in a hundred years and which was still essential to our daily lives here are some of them here it goes biscuits tea cups gold dentist chairs belts safety pins sewing machines soap scissors bicycles different carriers umbrellas umbrellas here i am sitting at my window while outside it's raining cats and dogs and baby elephants and i look down at the winding road below and what do i see scores of people running around with their umbrellas open some are trying to keep their laptops from getting wet some are protecting their days shopping others are just protecting themselves a sea of umbrellas and the only difference between these umbrellas and the ones i saw as a boy is that they now come in variety of colors at one time they were almost all black and the first time i saw a colored umbrella i wrote a, i wrote a story about it called the blue umbrella Vishal Bhardwaj even made a film about it. Then everyone started having colorful umbrellas, and now when I look down at the street, 
I see a medley of colors black umbrellas, blue umbrellas, yellow umbrellas, multicolored umbrellas. But although the colors have changed, the essential structure of the umbrella hasn't changed in over a hundred years. Some things don't change, artistic endeavor doesn't change, and while mankind may be moving towards a certain standardized, computerized version of human-animal, there will always be individuals who will try to be different, who will wander away from the herd, determined to do their own thing. So keep playing your violin, son. Keep practicing. Aim for perfection. In this workday world, there are millions of computer kids, but only a handful of great violinists become another menuhin. This brings us to the horseshoe. What's this? asked Rakesh when he was a small boy, touching the huge horseshoe that stood on my desk. It's a horseshoe, I said. I keep it for luck. It's so big. It must have been a very big horse, like a dinosaur. Not a dinosaur, but an English cart horse. They are not very tall, but they are sturdy animals, used to pull carts and plows. And they have big feet. This is a cart horse's shoe, about four times bigger than the shoe of the little hill ponies we see in Masuri. Are there any cart horses in India? Not as far as I know. You will find them on farms in England and France. Then how did you get it, Dada? Miss Bean gave it to me. And then I told him about Miss Bean, the old English lady who had grown up in Masuri, who lived in Maplewood. In the cottage when I came to live here in 1963. Yes, it's exactly 50 years since I came up to live in the hill station, renting the little cottage that stood on its own on the edge of maple and oak forest. Rakesh wasn't born then. Miss Bean was in her 80s, the last surviving Bean, as she described herself. Her parents, brother and sister were all buried in the Camel's Back Road Cemetery. She received a tiny pension and lived in a small room full of bric-a-brac bits of furniture rescued from her old home and paintings done by her late mother. I was on my own then, living on sardines, baked beans and other tin stuff. Sometimes I shared my simple meals with her. She told me stories of Masuri's early days, the balls and fancy dress parties at Hackman's and the Savoy, the scandals that erupted from time to time, houses that were said to be haunted, friends who had gone away and gone to their maker, her father's military exploits. I had noticed the big horseshoe on her mantelpiece and asked her how she came by it. My father brought it out from England, she said. It was supposed to bring us luck. But the good luck ran out long ago. You can have it if you like it. And she presented me with the horseshoe. Well, it's been with me all these years, along 
along with almost along with many other things going almost unnoticed most of the time except when a visitor notices it and comments on its size miss bean passed away in her sleep when i was still at maplewood brain came to work for me and brought his wife and 3 month old rakesh from the village to li- live with us they stayed for the rest of my long sojourn in the hills sojourn in the hills rakesh is now 40 and he and his pretty wife beena have their three school going children the horseshoe is still resting on my desk beena was asking me about it this morning did it really bring you good luck well we make our luck i said but the horseshoe has been with us all these years and it always reminds me of its former owner a little old lady who didn't have much luck but who enjoyed living and stood alone without complaining it's courage not luck that takes us through to the end of the road miss bean had the courage to stand alone and she lives on through that old horseshoe on my desk